my chapter number one. We started a few weeks ago on our outdoor drive-in service. We started in the book of Acts, and I thought that we were going to go through the book of Acts, and the Lord changed my heart and led me to the book of Nehemiah. He did that after we had uh, a couple weeks ago online, we did a series through the book of Haggai, uh, revival meaning through the week as we got back to our outdoor services out there. And the book of Nehemiah goes with it. And so I'm going to give you the background quickly this morning, and we're going to dive right in. But you're going to see something very special today in this passage of Scripture. You're going to see how the message and how the book of Nehemiah so fits today where we're at, and especially this first chapter as we dive in. And so normally we have songbooks there for people to use. We have pew Bibles or chair Bibles, whatever you want to call them. But because of all this, we're just keeping those put away for a few weeks. So the front page of your outline there has the entire chapter of Nehemiah, chapter number one. And we'll get there in just a minute. Let me give you a few thoughts, and then we'll dive in there. Let me give you a homework assignment this week. I know, school got out for most kids this week, but here's a great homework assignment. Read for me Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, three books of the Bible. They're not very long, and if you have a cell phone like me, just let it read it to you. That works out even better, and just listen to it. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, those three books. And uh, let me just give you a little brief summary of everything. The children of Israel, it all started with Abraham, right? God called him out, and God said he's going to make a great nation out of Abraham. Abraham, his son Isaac, was the one who carried on that. And Isaac had a son named Jacob and Esau. Esau should have gotten the blessing, but Jacob got it. He snuck in there, and he was given the birthright too. He'd go through all of that. And then you see that Jacob has 12 sons. Those sons become... The, tw- the tribes of Israel. Joseph goes through more trouble than anybody you could imagine. And God uses him to save his family through the famine. And all of Jacob's family moves, or the beginning of Israel, they moved to Egypt. And they stayed in Egypt probably longer than what they should have. They should have, after the famine, they should have gone back to the land that God had given them, but they stay there. And so what does God do? We see that Pharaoh rises up, and Pharaoh doesn't he starts making slaves out of the children of Israel because there's too many of them. And we see God raises up Moses, and Moses delivers them out of Egypt, and Moses gets them. And then remember, 12 spies go in, 10 gave a bad report, 2 gave a good report. And so they ended up uh, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses smites the rock, and he also puts himself on the level of God that he never should have done. Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land. So Joshua leads the children of Israel into the promised land. Victories come. They get set up there. One problem is they don't drive everybody out like God called them to do. Book of Judges is the most chaotic book in all the Bible. Why? Because everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I think our world today, I think everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. We need a guide and we need something to guide what we do. This book should be our, as a Christian, this book should be our guide. This is our final authority right here. We don't do what we think is right. We do what the book tells us is right. That's how we need to live as Christians. And so Israel says, we want a king. It wasn't God's timing. Saul is the first king of Israel. And if you know anything about all those things, Saul never should have been king in Israel. Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. And we know that the king would have need to be through the tribe of Judah because that's where... And you let first service a phone went off in the middle of the service we got kids that make a little bit of noise in here praise god i'm excited to have noise and distractions in the room because i've preached in front of a camera there is no distractions from a camera and johnny doesn't even smile at me or say amen when he was running the camera either and so so that's all good so if your kid's acting up a little bit 
it's all right. I love it. It's great. If your phone goes off, don't let it happen next week, but this week it's okay. And uh, it's good. But now I lost my whole train of thought, but no, we're to Saul. And so Saul, what does he do? He doesn't obey God. He does things his way. God takes him out. David becomes king. And David is a man after God's own heart. David and Solomon, those two, the kingdom of Israel, is at its zenith at that time. The temple gets built, and things are really good. But God warned his people, you go away from me, and you will get punished. And we see that take place. And so we see what happens is Solomon's son, Rehoboam, doesn't listen and does things his own way. The kingdom gets split. Jeroboam takes Israel, the northern ten tribes, and Rehoboam takes the southern two tribes, Judah. And we see things set off from there. The northern ten tribes, I don't know if they really even had a king you could say that was really good. But they get taken captive by Assyria several years before the southern kingdom, and they had prophets crying out, hey, Judah, don't do what Israel did so, you don't get, so this doesn't happen to you. Turn to God, return to God, God will bless you. They don't listen. Nebuchadnezzar comes in, wipes out the walls, destroys the city, knocks down the temple, does all of these things. And then you have, they go back to Babylon. That's where Daniel's there in Babylon. We know that Ezekiel is there in Babylon. And after 70 years, God works in a heathen king, and he sends Zerubbabel and about 50,000 people back to, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. They build the foundation. They stop for 16 years. That's where the book of Haggai and the book of Zechariah come in. Those prophets are trying to encourage the people to get going again. They build the temple. The temple is built. But the walls still aren't rebuilt. The people got used to the rubbish. They didn't fix it. They got, there's a lot of apathy in the people. And God sends them Nehemiah to build, to rise up and build. There's going to be an 11-week series in the book of Nehemiah about rising up and building. We look and we think about today in our world, I hate all the new terminology that's out there that people use and politicians. We're in this together, that's one, as they're going on there, as they live in their million-dollar houses and eat their $30 per pint ice cream and stuff like that. Or they take trips to Montana to a guest house but tell you to stay in your house in California. We're all in this together, right? Yeah. And then, or, you know, the new normal. I like the new normal, not for the reasons they do. I want our phrase around church to be a new normal. As we're back, let's do more for God. Let's grow more. Let's reach out more. Let's lose the apathy that we've had. Let's get on fire for God and let's rise up and do something for God till he comes. Let the new normal be a good thing in that realm. In a physical sense in our world here and in the United States, I think things were going okay before all this happened. We don't need a new normal with socialism coming in. We need to go back. We need to just go back before that and get God back and everything. Forgive the socialism and bring God in. That's my solution there. And so anyways, let's dive in, and maybe some of you, I turned you off right there. But if you like socialism and different things, you need to get right with God anyway. So, oh, did I say that? Anyways, let's get to the message here. Ch let's read chapter 1, verse number 1. That's what I was supposed to think about before I said, huh? Nehemiah 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. 
And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, I was in Shushan the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. I use the King James Bible. Terrible there isn't the way you think of terrible today. Think of the word awesome. That's what it's saying right there. And verse number um, six, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I prayed before thee now, night, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee. We have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, nor which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you among, abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out in the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power, and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of, the, of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. Let's dive into the message this morning and get, let's have a word of prayer. We'll dive in knowing how to pray. Father, we need you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the first service we've had. I thank you for this service. Pray that as we're gathered here this morning that you would be glorified, that you'd help us get what this passage has for us, that you'd meet with us in a special way. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Prayer is an overwhelming theme throughout the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, what you see in his life over and over again, you see opposition come and you see him pray before he does anything else. Why is it today that prayer is like the last resort that we have to everything that we do? Even when it comes to all the things going on in our world. Why is prayer, prayer is finally, I'm starting to hear some people mention prayer a little bit now. Why wasn't prayer mentioned at the beginning? Prayer is important. We need, as the people of God, we need to learn to pray. And this morning, and as we look at Nehemiah for the next several weeks, Nehemiah's public life was an outflow of his personal life. He had a relationship with God, and it was shaped, and his life was bound by his prayer life. And this morning, I want to talk about the process a prayer, the process of prayer. As we begin to pray, the first thing, number one, as we dive in, you got to have a concern about the problem. A concern about the problem. We know from the end of verse number 11 that Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. This means he had special, he got to see the king more than other people got to. Now, being the king's cupbearer might not be the greatest of things to do. Because let's say someone gave the king some poison to drink. The cupbearer would try the drink before the king would. And so if the king was going to get poisoned, 
Nehemiah would have died because he was the taste tester of that, and he would test things. And so he had access to the king that other people might not have had. And as the king's cupbearer, that was a pretty good job. He was in a good spot. He lived there by the palace. He had a good job. He had good political standing. He was around royalty. He had a place to live there in the palace. He was a, it was a cushy job. Everything was good for him there. And sometimes I think we look at life like, my family's doing okay, my household's good, and we focus on us and no, no externals. But you see Nehemiah to one of his brethren, verse number 2, says, And Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Nehemiah's like, I'm doing all right here, but I'm concerned about those that went back. Hey, those 50,000 that went back and they rebuilt the temple, the temple's been built and things, that did those things, that's great and wonderful, but how, how's the city? How's the walls doing? You see, he was concerned with more than just himself. And we look, and as we look at this, sometimes for us, it's easy for us to stay uninvolved and unaware of things going on. Like, if we don't know, we don't have to deal with it. And some of us don't even know what's going on because we just keep ourselves from it. And may I remind you this morning that even as Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem, he had heard stories about it, I'm sure, and he, and he knew that his ancestors had been taken away, but he was doing what God commanded them to do. Do you know what God said in Jeremiah chapter 51? You got that verse? He's falling asleep back there, Joe. Two services for him. You still got one more to go, bud. Jeremiah 51, 50. Ye that have escaped the sword, go away, stand not still. Remember the Lord afar off and let Jerusalem come into your mind. Hey, as you're there and you're okay in Babylon, don't forget. Don't forget what's taking place. Don't forget, keep Jerusalem in your mind. And as he thought on Jerusalem, he gets a report. Look at verse 3. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. We see that he listens to the report, and the survivors that were there were in great trouble. You see those words? There's three words. It says great affliction. That meant the people were broken down and were fa falling to pieces. The summary of that bad thing that's going on, the remnant, the affliction, and the reproach. And when Nehemiah hears this, he's broken inside because of what's taken place. And may I just say this morning, do you know the people didn't need Nehemiah to come to rebuild the wall? They could have rebuilt the wall. They could have rebuilt Jerusalem back up. But they got accustomed to it. They didn't mind living around the rubbish. It was okay to them. They were still walking around in devastation and not doing anything to make it better. And may I just remind you this morning, that's what happens when we grow complacent in our lives. We let sin come in. We have issues that go on and we don't deal with all those things, what happens is we just get accustomed and we leave it there. We need to be as Nehemiah and have a concern today about the things of God and not grow complacent. If you're living in rubble today, don't get to the point to where it doesn't bother you anymore. No, let's clean up the rubble. Let's clean up our lives. Let's rise up and do something for God today. When he heard this report, what did Nehemiah do? He fell to his knees. He wept. He fasted. 
They were required to fast once a year. This was not why he did it. He did it because of the concern that he had. And church, if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to do something for God, it all starts with getting a concern about the problem. And may I tell you today, it doesn't take long to look at the news or to look around this world. There's a big problem in our world today. And where are the Christians that are concerned about it today? Where are the Christians that are going to stand up and tell someone, hey, this is what Jesus Christ did for me. This is how Jesus changed my life. This is how he took me from where I was and made me a new person. He changed my heart and he can change your heart today. You know, we look today and you look at all that's going on in these inner cities. Do you realize there are not a lot of churches in the inner cities anymore? You wonder why we have all the problems in the big inner cities. We need people of God to get the gospel out. That's the answer today. The answer is not rioting and looting. The answer is to get the gospel, to get this book, to get the good news of Jesus Christ to this world. Do you have a concern today? Does it concern you what's going on? It should. Number one today, there should be a concern about the problem. Number two, after you get a concern, it should lead to a conviction about God's character. Look at verse number five. Nehemiah is praying and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenants and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive. Let thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night. We see number one, it starts with a concern about the problem. Number two, we see a conviction about God's character. As Nehemiah becomes concerned, he expresses his conviction about God's character in verse number five. He calls him Lord, recognizing him as his master. He refers to himself as God's servant. He refers to the Lord as the God of heaven. This is what happens. Nehemiah, he's concerned about the problem, and this is what happens. And get this, this all fits very well. There's five points, but stick with me for the next little bit. As you get concerned for the problem, the next thing that you realize is you can't solve the problem yourself. You can't. You cannot do it on your own. You've got to get a conviction about God's character and realize the only one who can fix the problem is God. You see, Nehemiah, before he did anything else, before he went to petition the king to go, before anything else, he sought God. He went before God. And our problems today in our world, our problems around us, problems in our own lives today, the only hope, the only cure we have is the Lord. He's it. There is no other hope. And today, we need to get some conviction about who God is and realize he's the only one that can help us today. Hey, the White House can't help us today. Sacramento can't help us today. San Bernardino, Gino, they can't help us today. There's one in heaven who can help us today. And let me just say, did you last night, as you see the cities getting torn apart and the fires breaking out and all these things take place, did you get on your knees before God and ask God to do something about it? You say, Pastor, I'm concerned. Well, as you get concerned, you need to get some conviction about who God is and realize that He is the only one and He's our only hope and there is no other hope outside of our Savior. And as you get a conviction about God's character, it does something to you. You know what it does to us? It leads us to see who we truly are. It leads us to point number three, where you need to confess confession of sin. 
there's a progression here. This is where most Christians stop. Most Christians get concerned. And most Christians know that God's the only source of hope. But the closer you get to God, the more you see who you truly are. And you realize there's stuff you've got to clean up in your own life. And before Nehemiah could help others, he needed to get himself right. That's where it stops most of the time. I'm concerned, I know God's the only way, and God says, okay, then you clean yourself up. Bible principle. I know it was written to Israel, and I don't claim it as a promise for America, but I believe that it's a good principle. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that's realizing who God is, getting to God. Now what's the next thing? Turn from their wicked ways. Confession of sin. Say, Pastor, I'm concerned about this world. I know who God is. I know he's the only hope. Then uh, how about cleaning up your life first? We don't like to hear that. We don't like that. But it's true. So, Pastor, I don't have any sin in my life. There's pride. You got one. Isn't it interesting? You see, look at the end of verse number 6. And confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Um, was Nehemiah the one who was, that um, did what Israel did to be taken into captivity in the first place? No. Did his people do it? Yes. Do you call yourself an American today? If you do, do you ever ask God to forgive us for our wickedness? You ask God to forgive us for abortion? And the fact that abortion clinics could be open and churches couldn't? Do you ask God to forgive us for that? Do you ask God to forgive us for the porn industry being so big in the United States? Do you ask God to forgive us of the wickedness? Do you ask God to forgive us of racism? Do you ask God, you say, well, that's them! What did Nehemiah say? We have sinned against thee. We personally need to get right with God. Do you know, it's one thing to be concerned and to get a firm grip on who God is, but it's another thing to actually confess. Nehemiah goes to God, and let me just give you a few thoughts about confession of sin and three ingredients to the confession of sin. The first one is this, intensity intensity. Overwhelmed by concern about sin and awe of God's character, Nehemiah did something about it. And then secondly, honesty. We just need to be honest before God. Do you realize you cannot hide anything from God? He knows it all. Honesty. And then urgency. We need it now. We need to do it now. (laughs) The story's told about a Boeing employee that one day decided to steal a life raft from one of the airplanes that he was working on. And little did he know that, um, so he got it out of the, out of the um, place where the plane was, and he got it, and he took it out to take it out on the river to go floating on it. He forgot about one thing, that when that, la- when that life raft is activated, there's an, indica- an emergency indicator to find where that, where that raft is. 
So when he got done on the river, they were quite surprised when the Coast Guard was there to come rescue them, and he got arrested for um, stealing the raft. Do you know God sees our sin? He's not blind to it. Be sure your sin will find you out. What sin are you hiding? What sin are you covering today? The Bible says that we need to confess it and forsake it and we'll have mercy. What sin in your life needs to be dealt with today? So we see a progression here. We see Nehemiah was concerned about Jerusalem. We see that he goes to God and he sees the character of God. And seeing the character of God, it led him to confess his sins. The closer you get to God, the more you're going to see yourself and what needs to get cleaned up. This is the problem. Most Christians don't get that close to God. And that's what they say. I'm a Christian. I'm already close to God. Then why does the New Testament say, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you? Because you can be close and not be close. Those of you that have kids... You can have a good relationship, you know, kids have grown up. You can have a good relationship with them if they call you or if they come see you. But if they won't call you and they won't come see you, that relationship's not great. See a confession of sin, but the confession of sin led to point number four, confidence in God's promises. Now, one of the things that we take for granted, and one of the things that we, you hear people, God wants you to be happy. Have you ever heard anybody say that before? God wants you happy. Well, if you're going to be happy, you're going to do what God tells you to do. Isn't that a principle in the Bible? Or another one. Let's think if I can think of another one. God wants you to be successful. Well, he does, but how do you get successful? By Psalm 1, by spending time in the Word of God, meditating on it, and all those different things, right? And so when God gives a promise, there's a condition behind it. You know, you want eternal life, you have to receive it. That's how it works. And sometimes I think that preachers and other people think that, you know, no, God, there's, there's conditions. Most of the promises, there's conditions behind them. And, you know, you want all the, you want all the blessings of being a child of God? Well, you've got to be saved to, to get those blessings. There's no other way to get them. And, but this is the thing. You can have confidence in the God's promises as you get yourself right with God. A lot of Christians are not very confident in the things of God because you're not right with God. And this is the excuse I hear. Well, pastor, I can never be right with God. Shut up. Yeah, that's just a sign you'll never get to, right? Don't even try. You're saved. You're a child of God. Live for him. You're going to mess up. Get back up. Try again. A just man falls seven times, but riseth up again. But th- look at what he says. Look at verse number 8. We see he, he's telling the Lord, Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If he transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast down to the uttermost of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place which I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power, by thy strong hand. We see that Nehemiah goes before God and says, God, remember what you told Moses? You said that if we didn't obey you, you would take us out of the land. And God, you did that because we didn't obey you. But you also said that if we would turn to you and seek you, that you would bring us back to the land. And God, here we are. We're ready to go. I'm ready to go get that promise. Do you see the confidence he had in the promise of God? And Christian today, when God says something, he means it. 
I love the song, Standing on the Promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, Standing on the Promises of God. When God says something, when God promises something, he always delivers on it. He always comes through. And Christian today, it's been said there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. And if that's wrong, you can figure that out with someone else. But this is what I know. Why did he give us his word? See that he's true. That what he says happens. And Christian, you can have confidence in God today. As you find confidence in God's promises, what will happen is... It will lead you to point number five, a commitment to get involved. Do you see the progression in Nehemiah's prayer? Think about this progression. Nehemiah was concerned about Jerusalem. Hey, I'm concerned. The walls are still down. The people are living among all this stuff. I'm concerned about this. Then you see him go to God, and he sees the character of God. He realizes, my sin, I need to clean up my sin. Confesses his sin, the people's sin. He's got confidence in the promises of God. And because of that, he's going to get involved and do something. And a commitment to get involved. Look at verse number 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah said, I'm concerned. I know, God, you're the only one who can do it. I'm cleaning myself up. I'm going to stand on your promises. And I'm going to do something. The problem is people get concerned, but they never do anything. Until you decide to do it, you're not going to ever do it. You know, one of the things I've learned, I'm, soon it'll be 10 years of pastoring, the thing that took me a while to learn, if someone doesn't want to do something, they're not going to do it. You can't make anybody do anything. It doesn't work that way. When they decide to do it, they will do it. You know, at the beginning of the year, I decided it was time to lose weight. No more games. I made that decision myself. No one made me do it. No one twisted my arm. I'm not sick or anything like that. But I made up my mind to do it. And this is what happens. You might have a concern for the problems around us, but are you going to do something about it? Nehemiah did something. And he goes, do you realize this? He was going to go ask the king. His countenance was going to, chapter 2, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but his countenance was sad before the king. He could have been killed just for that. And the king listened to him. Why? Because he knew that God was in it. He had confidence in God's promises. He sought God. Do you realize before he ever goes and sees the king, he had already fasted, he already prayed to God for it? And if you were to tell me a key word to the book of Nehemiah, there's one word, and it's a tiny little word. The word so. The key word it's, appears 32 times in the book of Nehemiah. And you'll see it as we go through the books. The word so. You'll see opposition come. Um, Sambalat, Tobiah, Tobias, and you'll see that when the opposition comes, so he prayed. And think about this. Nehemiah would assess the situation, it moved to concern, and so it compelled him to action. Martin Luther said this, pray as if everything depends on God, 
than work as if everything depends on you. I think that's true. Sometimes we need a wake-up call. I don't know for sure that this past amount of time and where we're at today was really a wake-up call from God, but I'm taking it as one. We need to wake up. Time is short. The Lord's return is coming. And as he comes, let's be more committed to him. Are you concerned today? Then you need to seek God. As you seek God, you're going to realize there's stuff you've got to clean up. This is a problem with Christians. We look at other Christians like, hey, I'm doing better than they are, so everything's okay. That's never going to help you grow in the Christian life because you can always find someone doing less than you. You've got to look to God. And when you look to him, you're going to be like, whoa, I'm unclean. Isn't that what Isaiah said? I'm undone. You've got to keep your eyes in the right place. As your eyes are in the right place, you'll confess your sin. And when you confess your sin and get right with God, it's amazing how much more confident you'll get in the things of God and in his promises. And as you have his promises and as you've gotten your heart right with him, and as you know he's your only guide and you're going to do, what's it going to do? It's going to lead you to action. That's what we need today. We need to get to action. Commitment to get involved. Say, Pastor, I am concerned about everything going on. Then what are you going to do about it? I think you need to seek God. I think you need to get your life right. You need to stand on God's promises and then get committed to do something. Time is short. We've got to live for God now. Christian, let's not have any more games. Let's get serious about our walk with God. Let's get serious about our church attendance. Let's get serious about the things of God and what we do. Let's get serious about our worship of Him. Let's get serious about our um, witness. Let's get serious. Time's short. And a lot of people in this world are content to live the way that they are. And this is the problem. Too many Christians are content to live the way that they've lived. Too many pastors are content to live the way that they've lived. Let's not be content. Let's get a new normal. And let's let this place be a place that does more for God and that we learn from things that happen. And let's seek God. And let's reach the city, the state, this country, this world for Jesus Christ. He is the answer. And no matter what people say, Jesus is still the answer. And he's what we need. Father, Father,